This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. I'm Francesca Liberti, and today we are going to actually zoom in into our Innovation and Tech series of episodes. And we are going to talk about anti-money laundering and fraud with the two outstanding guests, which I'm going to introduce you in a couple of minutes. But before starting with that, let me actually give you a little bit of numbers to frame uh, more the, the topic. They are quite scaring numbers, I have to say, but we are going to discuss uh, um, more with, with our guests. So in the last year, in 2020, financial institutions spent over $30 billion on AML and KYC. And in the same year, they had to pay more than $13 billion in AML fines. And overall, money laundering represents between 2 and 5% of the global GDP. So as I was saying, it's uh, quite impressive numbers, but actually it's good news because uh, the two startups that I'm going to introduce you uh, are working on that. So it means, first of all, that they, they do have market for what they are doing, <laughs> which is always good. And they are actually helping to, to solve a, a real problem. So without any further ado, let me introduce you Shurt Slot, founder of Fraud Dynamics. Welcome, Shurt. Welcome. Great to be on the show, uh, Francesca. And Andrea Danielli, who spent quite some time at the Bank of Italy, and now he's, uh, uh, he's starting Mopso. Ciao, Andrea. Thanks for Ciao. joining. <laughs> Thanks. For, it's great to be here. Good. So, guys, before really getting into the uh, in, into the real uh, discussion uh, i want to ask you to uh, briefly introduce your startups and your activities to to our audience so we all know who does what sure do you want to start yeah perfect no so i think you already explained this is quite a big issue um not only from the um side of the amount of money laundering or the fines but much more the uh yeah the remediations that banks have to take to actually uh, solve the whole problem uh, and that, of, of course, affects their businesses as well. So what we as Fraud Dynamics say is that the fraud or financial crime in general is so dynamic that you cannot solve that with the old world solutions. And what we actually do is we actually have automated the whole uh, model generation of financial crime. So what typically a bank or a payment processor does is they, they put in their data, they put in their policy and their requirements. And our algorithm actually will find the most optimal model to both represent the quantitative approach of that as well as a qualitative approach that matches their policy requirements um, in the most efficient, effective way. And then what we typically see actually is that we can decrease the false positive by 80 to 90% and double or triple the number of true positives. 
And the whole case there is I think you cannot solve that anymore with, with human chasing the, the froster, but you really have to find an algorithm that says, you know, this is the way you can best find the froster. And I think that's the solution. Uh, so people don't have to replace the monitoring systems, but they just can replace the algorithm inside of it. I think that's key what we do. And uh, happy to discuss more on uh, on how we do it. Yeah, thanks, Shirt. Uh, Andrea, tell us about Mopso. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, Mopso is a startup that is uh, developing uh, two highly integrated solutions to address A-money laundering regulation, which are Brain and Amlet. Um, concerning Brain, it is a risk assessment tool that helps banks uh, to uh, find suspicion uh, transaction and high customer um, using semantic web technology. So first of all, we are trying to um, improve and make uh, better the transaction monitoring phase, which is one of the three pillars of A-Money Laundering. The, sec the, the first pillar is customer due diligence, and here comes Amlet. Uh, Amlet automates customer due diligence using an innovative uh, distributed digital identity. We rely on self-sovereign identity, which maybe I will explain better further, but is a, um, a concept that uh, I think, I believe everybody here have already heard. Amlet um, is able to transfer customer data and uh, identity credentials into kind of digital twins. So um, you don't have to make uh, again and again a picture of your identity card, or your tax declaration. You just have to do it once, only once. And then with um, these digital twins, you can um, onboard in uh, whatever banks uh, um, are using and adopting Amlet. So I, um, we strongly believe that uh, automating customer due diligence, we can spare more time on controls and checks and less time on routines. And also giving the banks uh, data that are machine readable, we are able to integrate better with their IT legacy, that is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most uh, troubling. Main, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Main problems for that, of yeah. course, of course. For everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, it, it was good to start with that also to, um, and it, it, it's, it's quite a privilege to have you here because you are actually working concretely every day in this, uh, in this kind of field. And when I was uh, hearing you um, explaining also uh, short at the beginning about uh, uh, fraud dynamics, I was actually thinking uh, the process that got me preparing this episode. Because, of course, it's, it's not my piece of cake. So I was trying to look a bit around of uh, what was the difference between uh, the, the traditional way to detect fraud and the innovation that uh, that. It was implemented by solution like yours. Uh, and it was uh, quite interesting because what I understood, but correct me if I I'm wrong, is that in the past, uh, fraud detection was mostly relying on predefined uh, behavioral patterns. Today, of course, uh, considering the huge increment of digitalization, uh, the different channels a customer could use, uh, the constantly changing behavior of, uh, of people, the traditional ways are not efficient anymore. So what we can use is actually algorithm, artificial intelligence, and more specifically, I suppose, uh, machine learning kind of, uh, of techniques. 
So, as I said, it, it's not my piece of cake, but at some point I, of my life, uh, I was almost married to a data scientist. So what he was uh, keep telling me constantly is that the technology can be super good, whatever, but the most important thing is the quality of data. So maybe it's, it's, it's an obvious question for you, but what I was always thinking is that uh, how can you make sure that uh, the, the data that you, that you get the data that you need or actually the other way around? So how are you sure that your clients or the banking institutions are collecting the right data? Do you see any limitation in that? Well, I think it's the, the right question to ask. Um, and it's, it's clear we've talked before, so I think you understood uh, uh, the challenges that are there. The question is, once you have predefined um, uh, patterns that you're looking for, then you're looking for very specific uh, data points because that those represent your, your patterns. Even if you use machine learning to go, go to these predefined data points, uh, you're still looking for where is that data and can I find that data? So then you have a data quality issue. The way we do it, as I said, we do model generation, so we actually turn it around. We let the data tell us what the relevant patterns are. So rather than trying to find what we have defined as probably relevant, we flip it and we actually say, well, let the data tell us what could be relevant patterns that are present in the data, because there's always patterns uh, present in data. Afterwards, you always say, we should have seen this. This money is going to a place where we don't expect it to go. Uh, this customer wouldn't have done this transaction. Or we don't expect this type of customer to, to make this type of transaction. So afterwards, you always have a good explanation and you can even probably find the data once you know what's going on. The key problem is, can you find it when you don't know yet what's going on? And then uh, the issue is that it's twofold. First of all, the data. So can you find patterns that are relevant, uh, which are there? And there's always patterns there, um, unless you have a written piece of paper, uh, but probably even then somebody can find a pattern. And the second is, are you looking for fraudulent behavior? Or are you looking for legitimate behavior? So what we flip it up twice. First of all, we look at the patterns that the data tells us are relevant. So we find machine learning that gives us those patterns. And secondly, we find patterns that are, represent the legitimate behavior of a customer rather than the illegitimate. So we don't need to know yet what the fraudsters are doing tomorrow, but we can already predict how, um, how probable it is that this pattern is legitimate versus illegitimate. And that helps us really to find both in, in, in yeah, typically low quality data sets as well as a very high dynamic environment where the fraudsters and criminals continuously change their behavior to still find uh, relevant uh, patterns that can be detected and that can actually efficiently detect fraud. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So it's, it's more try to understand uh, where the legitimacy is, uh, is in, the, uh, in the process instead of really looking for, for the fraud itself. Andrea, do you have uh, any experience with that uh, as well? What's your, your take on that? I, yeah. I think every work with banks, so you should. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of experience about uh, bad data and a lot of um, reflection about this issue. Um, I think it's uh, my CTO's fault uh, if I am quite skeptic about uh, um, how machine learning could help in transaction monitoring, for example. Um, because, uh, first of all, uh, there is a problem about uh, data, not only quality, but quantity. If you are using uh, neural networks, you need uh, a lot of data about transactions, but we are talking about millions of transactions. And to find millions of transactions, you have to work uh, 
with uh, big banks. You cannot work with small banks. And that's a problem for a startup because uh, a significant banks uh, sometimes distrust a startups. You are too small to work with us. That's what they are repeating <laughs> all the time. So first problem is how can I uh, teach my neural network uh, to find a pattern if I don't have data? That's, that's the first problem. And that's, uh, that's why we are not working with machine learning techniques, but we prefer to work with a knowledge graph and the semantic mm -hmm. web technologies. Um, so what we are trying to do at Mopso is to find a connection between uh, different actors in the money laundering. Uh, we are trying to disentangle uh, complex operation because uh, um, a single transaction don't bear a lot of information. You need absolutely to understand what's the network and to um, find a, a place for this transaction and for uh, who is uh, the beneficiary or the ordinant. So um, we, we try to create uh, the network and then to apply over the network uh, page rank algorithm on other algorithms able us to understand if the people uh, is uh, relevant or not. And then uh, we try to reconstruct also the economic purpose of the transaction. Um, so for us, it's uh, software that help an analyst. And of course, uh, I am the analyst because that's my, <laughs> my previous work uh, was at the Bank of Italy. Um, also, the, there's a problem about uh, data, um, disponibility data. Um, and, and to me, what is uh, really an opportunity in the next future is uh, open source intelligence and uh, open data. Um, and we will get to that also. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> we will get to that uh, in, uh, in, uh, in some minutes. And um, I have also another question before getting to more um, uh, the times that we are also living and also the, the regulation attached to that. When you were talking at the beginning, sure, you were mentioning also um, false positives. Which is also something, I mean, for me, it's uh, that, that I'm not in the sector, the uh, advantage of uh, uh, detecting anomalies uh, is uh, a clear advantage, of course. But what I can imagine is that also on the other side, being able to detect false positives is also quite uh, uh, a strong element in terms of uh, cost saving and time saving for a banking institution. Can you, can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, it all comes down in any uh, algorithm to both sides of, of the algorithm, uh, which is the, the true positives and the false positives. And uh, so anomaly detection helps you to find more true positives that you previously were not detecting or were not able to detect uh, in time. Um, but the good thing because of the pattern recognition is that you can rule out a lot of false positives. And, and I, I recently got into an interview from a, um, one of our clients and they would say, because they reduce the false positive so much, there's, of course, there's a big cost benefit to that. Uh, but I think in the current day and age, I think it's besides the cost benefit, it's also a relevance uh, matter for the, the analyst that's investigating. So if you have to go through 100 or 1,000 alerts to find one true positive, uh, that's really, well, it's not really a, a relevant job anymore, uh, or hardly <laughs> a relevant job. And the question is going to be, once you get to that true positive, are you still recognizing it because you've been clicking through so many other alerts? 
So if you want to raise the quality, and I think we also see regulators pushing for that, is that you need to you need to get the right balance between the true positives and the false positives, both from a cost perspective, because otherwise you're going to be out of business at some point, as well as from a quality perspective that you want you don't want people to numberify based on all the, the vast volume of alerts that they need to handle to find you know the needle in the haystack. So what we find is very important is to both increase true positive as well as drastically reduce false positives to come to a more proper balance and actually find you know the fraudsters and the criminals that are out there. Yeah, at the end of the day, efficiency is is is, is the key. So I mean, efficiency uh, is key, I think. But also, I think at some point, especially nowadays, I think relevance is key as well, um, uh, because there's a lot of people working there. It's hard to find the right talent. Um, and if talent is leaving because they don't feel they're doing any, any relevant work, um, that's a big risk for a bank as well. So, um, and we see this happening with our clients that in the old days they had maybe you know, a three months, six months turnover from, from analyst staff because of you know, just simply clicking through a lot of alerts. Uh, and yeah. currently they're, getting, they're seeing applications coming in because people find it you know, more relevant in the end to, um, to work there. Makes a lot of sense. And you were mentioning also the, the urgency from the regulator in order to, to get into, into this, this field. And my uh, actually next question to, to Andrea is also about which kind of regulation are, are going out uh, uh, recently, but more on the customer side that we, we, we mentioned before. So uh, the European SCA, the strong customer authentication in the PSD2 context, is just uh, uh, being uh, enforced uh, from the 1st of January, actually, uh, a little bit late from yeah. uh, what we were expecting, <laughs> but finally, it finally did. So um, in Mopso and especially uh, Amlet is is actually quite involved in the uh, authentication of the uh, of the consumer, as you were saying before. So which kind of implication you you see on the European level and also on a global level? Well, um, it's it's a tough question, really, um, because uh, you know when I was working at the Bank of Italy, I, I was dealing with um, customer compliance. Com complain. So uh, I remember there were a lot of complaints about uh, phishing, fraud, scam, all this stuff. And it, it was a, a huge problem for banks because uh, they, they were obliged to refund the victims at least uh, half uh, times mm -hmm. to, to refund. And also for customers that are for, were forced to complain and begin a long and sometimes stressful confrontation with banks. It wasn't that smooth. So uh, I hope that the strong customer authentication regulation will uh, reduce cyber threat to banking customers, and um, that will uh, have a good impact uh, about online payment that will be more secure and, and thus widely adopted. That's the good point to me. But I also have bad feelings, personal bad feelings, mm -hmm. because uh, um, if I um, think of myself as a, a customer, well, some customer authentication has deteriorated a lot of experience. The, the process is definitely not smooth. <laughs> I not can at say. all. <laughs> not at all. I, I'd like to, to share with you um, a recent history by myself. Um, this system is so sophisticated that um, just a few days ago, I couldn't uh, make a white transfer. Um, I was afraid that something was um, not working well in the banking app. 
I was ready to ask uh, the, and to call the customer care, asking what's wrong with my app, because I always have problems <laughs> with my app. But uh, I try again to, to type the PIN. And uh, well, it, it, I was just uh, not remembering the right PIN because I, I had previously changed my PIN. But the app was so um, brilliant, so smart, that uh, she, it pretends to generate a wrong, uh, a, a real OTP. But uh, in fact, it was generating a wrong OTP without informing me. So uh, it was hiding the problem. And uh, it, I think it was just by chance that I was able to understand what I was <laughs> wasn't doing wrong. But, and that is just uh, one experience of somebody that is working in the digital domain. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I, I don't know, from, from a business perspective, you can see that there is a lot of implication, good implication, a lot of potential opportunities because I am seeing that uh, um, there is a, 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 good, a really relevant growth of operator in the field of authentication. Um, I, I, can see, I can say I'm discovering a new player every week. Really, a new competitor. <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, I say, well, there is market, but also, oh no, <laughs> another competitor. But uh, uh, in practice, that's the theory. But in practice, when you look at the market and the intermediaries, the financial intermediaries, they are still using one-time passwords sent through SMS yeah. with all the biometric stuff, with all the innovative technology. We are still relying on SMS and smartphone. And somebody add an additional PIN. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't see that's a really cutting edge innovation. It's just adding another PIN. So Another layer of, of exactly, complexity probably. Exactly. Yeah. And you have to, to remember. And so, so you use the same PIN, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes it, it works. Okay. But um, trying to, to conclude, uh, uh, and concerning Aimlet, to me, the Sun Customer Authentication is a good um, point and a good opportunity because uh, it stress so much customers that we present Amlet. People is uh, amazed by how smooth it is our process. And so it's uh, that kind of opportunity. Something is not going well, but we have an answer. <laughs> that Hamlet. So they, they can see the difference. They can yeah, see the exactly. difference. <laughs> it's even more obvious. <laughs> it's even more obvious. And that's amazing, really. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely good. Sure, do you see any difference with the, with Dutch banks or or the way these kind of uh, things are handled? I think we've, we've all have certain experiences that are slightly less positive, let's call it uh, politely. Um, uh, but I think also the pressure is on definitely in because of the fintechs, uh, the banks really have to move forward. And I think that's a good signal. So that really means that people have to experience a certain, um, yeah, uh, a certain user experience in the way they make their transactions. And what we really find interesting right now is, well, if you look at the general retail space, so not even the banking space, but if you look at, for instance, Amazon and, and all the supermarkets that are doing just, you know, walk through and pay yeah. uh, without even going through something. Um, I think that's interesting because that's all based on monitoring. Uh, so that means, you know, if, if I know what you're doing inside my bank, if I know what you're doing, uh, and if this is, you know, this is something that's legitimate and we can verify, then um, then the user experience can be lowered or can be, you know, the experience can be improved, but the, the checks can be lowered because you're, you're monitoring in a, more in the background. 
And I think that's why we see a lot of parties, yeah, trying to investigate. Of course, the regulation is 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 moving behind on that one. Um, but I think the pilots and the innovation on that space is uh, is really improving. Yeah, and, and you were mentioning also the, the, the side of the e-commerce, because at yeah. the end, of course, the protection of the consumer is one side, the bank is definitely one of the players, but let's not forget that a, a smooth experience for the customer means that I'm actually going to go through my purchase, uh, which means that also on the on the on the e-commerce side, it's, uh, it could be quite uh, quite a good advantage. All right, let's go for a very short break and we will come back uh, very soon. The FTS Group builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu. And we are back. We are here with uh, Andrea Insure talking about uh, uh, AML and fraud. Uh, we were discussing before um, about, of course, regulation. And we deep dive a little bit more into the, the, the tech side and the technology around uh, AML and fraud detection. And uh, right now, what I want to, to discuss with you guys is more uh, the changing behavior we experience in this period, of course. Uh, because we were saying before with sure that, uh, uh, of course, uh, um, the behavioral patterns uh, are quite important in order to detect what is fraudulent and what is not. And also with with uh, Andrea about the transaction, the, the where the transaction is coming from, what are the economical purpose? Uh, is the did the customer did the transaction or not? And it's quite interesting because in this context with the pandemic that we all unfortunately are experiencing, I can imagine that the behavior of people changed quite dramatically. I mean, we are all at home making a lot of useful, unuseful purchases, spending much more money because we are bored or because uh, whatever, we cannot go to the restaurant, so we try to, to spend money on other stuff. So on one side, I can imagine that uh, all this new digital push um, kind of allowed the fraudulent intend to, to, to increase in, in some terms. But on the other side also, I can imagine it's a little bit more difficult to understand what is a, a correct pattern and what changed. Because of course, as a consumer, I might do now something I wouldn't have done before. So sure, what's, um, what's your experience in this couple of years now actually? So yeah, I think exactly, and I think we were quite concerned about this as well. Definitely, when the pandemic started to uh, uh, to become more um, uh, enduring, um, I think in the end, what we saw is actually an increase of the performance of our models, which actually, honestly, was even surprising to us because the theory says uh, behavior is changing, so you probably won't be able to find it as easy as before. Um, 
in practice, so we we found like well, minor five percent improvement in performance, but definitely not a decrease. And so we started to investigate. So you know what went right here. Uh, sometimes you you investigate what went wrong, but this time we we <laughs> wanted to understand what went right. Um, and I think when the end people um, they change their payments. Of course, they go from a lot of small you know payments in the different shops on you know on premise to to online payments, typically larger payments because they do their orders in larger bulks. Um, but they don't really necessarily, you don't suddenly buy significantly more food. You don't buy like a hundredfold more food. You don't, uh, well, you buy, might buy a bit more electronics, but you would typically then see that a lot of people are buying more electronics or a lot of people are doing things. So unless the half of the world is, is fraudulent uh, and that doesn't work. So because we look at normal from a context behavior, and I think Andrea tipped on that as well, like it, it need, you need to check within the network, within the different entities that the payment is consisting of, is this normal and, how, and do we see a general pattern here? And there we noticed because everybody was changing their behavior, this wasn't a local thing, and uh, this wasn't just you know, one city or one group of clients, you could see it across uh, the, um, uh, the data set. Um, so we actually found that you know, the, the models could still actually pre predict it quite well, um, because there was a general movement. And so therefore it's, it, 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 you know, because the, our base assumption is that you know, the majority is right, uh, which I think is a healthy democratic principle. Um, very Dutch. <laughs> very Dutch indeed. Um, but in, and that's what we do in our data science approach as well. We say, you know, if the majority is moving that direction, then it's quite feasible that that, that is probably a legitimate direction. And therefore we could see that our models were adopting to it quite quickly. Of course. So actually the fact that the pandemic was worldwide uh, was was quite a good uh, point on, on your model. Let's put it like that. Yeah, so it wasn't a local pandemic in one small town or uh, exactly. with a couple of few people. Uh, I don't think worldwide matters for us because typically, you know, these data sets are national based, but definitely we could see it across the whole data uh, set. Um, and so that definitely that definitely helped. And, and typically a model adjusts quite quickly. If a lot of people, even if you have a town, after two, three days, you, at some point you figured out that this is normal in this context. So, uh, yeah. Good. Andrea, how did you face the last uh, the last years? Did you, do you relate with what Schuld was saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, from a money laundering point of view, when you see a crisis, uh, the organized crime uh, find new relevant opportunities. So we have to be more prepared to fight money laundering. And above all, uh, we have to be more focused on uh, loan, uh, emergency governmental loans, because uh, a lot of uh, uh, companies have been probably um, infiltrated by organized crime, and they are willing to take all the money they can. So um, if I see the crisis from this perspective, uh, Something has changed. The, there is um, more pressure on A-money laundering, and that's uh, why with Mopso we are entering the market right now because we are also helping uh, one uh, of our customers to uh, face the pandemic, really try to find if uh, there are patterns related to health, for example, because as we know, there are a lot of uh, fake uh, um, masks, a lot of mm -hmm. fake uh, medical uh, instruments, uh, and so yeah. on. And uh, in this um, perspective, uh, we are uh, 
broaden our uh, analysis and uh, also we, we had to adapt our way of work because uh, we are not all, all relying on uh, um, usual money laundering schemes, but also we need to um, understand if there's some connection with, uh, uh, for example, governmental procurement about masks and about medical uh, and health uh, related uh, stuff. And uh, th that's, uh, to me, is uh, interesting because uh, it, it uh, shows us that uh, for people like me and Shord working in money laundering and in fraud that I, and to me are really very well connected. connected yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have to change uh, our approach uh, as uh, it, it needed. And uh, we have to be all the time very, very flexible. So um, from a technological point of view, there are a lot of tools that we can use, but the, the, the most important tool is the analyst, is uh, the, the people beside technology that uh, is willing to fight uh, um, organized crime. But, but in my opinion, that's not only a business, that's also a kind of mission. Um, I am Italian, as you know, we have a lot of problems with organized crime. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's more probably trying to connect all the dots. It's not really yeah. one, uh, um, one solution to the problem, but as you were saying, uh, trying to connect uh, the regulation, uh, the, the, the whole, con like a, a, a small puzzle, okay? So exactly. try to, to put everything, uh, everything together. This, uh, what I just said, uh, um, allows me to get to um, uh, another topic that we were slightly touch, touch upon before, uh, which is about the fact that uh, um, this is quite a sensitive topic. So your main uh, uh, point of interaction, I suppose, are financial institutions, of course. They are probably relying a lot on a traditional way to detect fraud or to approach AML. So in general, within the fintech scene, we are keep talking about collaboration, competition, uh, um, the relationship between the banking scene and fintechs. But I can imagine that in a, in, in a topic like, uh, like yours, in a sector like yours, this could be a little bit more difficult because uh, there is a trust kind of scheme. Uh, banks are maybe a little bit more uh, reluctant in, in, in getting into, into a collaboration with a startup because the topic itself, it's, it's quite, quite sensitive, as I was saying. Should what's your um, experience with that? Do you see banking quite open? I mean, in the Netherlands, it's, it's very interesting because we have two different uh, uh, geographies here. And in my experience, I was living for, for six years in the Netherlands. The Dutch banking system is much more open to collaboration than the Italian one, maybe also because we start from a very different uh, um, developing perspective, let's put it like, or, or we have different kind of problems. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to understand your, your point of view, Short. Well, I'm not sure how, uh, there's of course differences and I think uh, uh, I can, uh, I don't think we, uh, Italy and Holland wants to get into contest who's the most criminal country in, in Europe. Uh, <laughs> so I think we, uh, we, uh, we challenge each other quite uh, properly. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's also the way you react to situations, though, eh, if I can say. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Um, but so I think your question was more like how do banks cooperate? I think definitely the, the topic is very sensitive. It's not so much the data. Um, I think they can typically see it. Also, Andrea, being from a bank, my background isn't there. Uh, so we, we understand how banks work. So they, they typically see quite quickly that we come from the domain. We understand the sensitivity of the domain. But then again, the sensitivity is much more uh, against the size of the problem. You can, you can, you can feel you know, a, a nice front-end uh, pilot. Uh, but if you feel, of course, in money laundering, that's, that's a bigger risk to that. So that's more the risk appetite. And so we typically tell them, you know, start small. Really try to start as small as possible. Um, and so take, you know, a business unit, take a country, uh, you know, even if you get enthusiastic about the, 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 the possible results that, you know, we can deliver, but let's try it out small so that we can build trust internally. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the key things for a bank to take away is that, that you know, there is definitely innovation and, it, and it's available, um, but you want to manage it as an innovation first. And then once, you know, you've got to know each other, once you've proven that this works on a small scale, then, then you can really, you know, upgrade it. It's just like dating. You start with a dinner, you don't get married at, at, at first sight. <laughs> uh, and I think innovation is exactly the same thing. Even in a sensitive topic like um, uh, financial crime, um, you want to start small. And then it's quite easy, you know, uh, uh, if things fail or if expectations were different or whatever, um, there's no real risk because you, you anticipated that this was, you know, a pilot. Uh, and because it's a pilot, then you can learn a lot. You can, you can share ideas. And I think, I think you mentioned that the Dutch banking sector is ahead. I think that typically is also a first mover disadvantage. Uh, so what we see a lot, of course, is a lot of banks thinking, you know, we can handle this. We they have can do it. They can do themselves. Team. We can mm -hmm. do this ourselves. Uh, what we actually see in, in, in banks that, well, some people in the fintech scene might, might seem uh, less advanced, or at least not openly advanced, let's just say. Um, there are definitely people in there that are, are moving innovation agenda, and they are taking big steps. Because they're they're taking you know that that's that's how the market works. If you started later, you have a massive advantage because you can just skip all the initial steps and and, and start where everybody's at at the moment, uh, rather than still clinging on to you know your, your last success. So if you don't have any success to to lose, uh, you can go straight to the end and uh, and move in where where you know where the, where everybody's at. So um, uh, we yeah, are ma ma many times legacy is. Uh... Legacy can be a quite <laughs> advantage, especially, and, and, and our algorithms work with legacy systems. So the, 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 the cool part is you don't need to change the whole architecture um, of, of your legacy architects before you can get started with us. Um, so so because, we've, because of our design, because we know how the market works and how banks work, you don't want to replace, start replacing legacy first and then only being able to innovate. You want to be able to work with the legacy. And then, of course, people can decide to, to upgrade the legacy or whatever. Uh, but that should be a parallel um, uh, discussion. Uh, but we can see people really taking big steps in uh, in countries where um, you might not see banking as advanced, or maybe certain types of bank that are not perceived as very advanced. Yeah. But they know they they acknowledge they have an issue. They acknowledge that they might not solve it themselves, and they also acknowledge that start small. Uh, so let's just pilot this, uh, test this out, uh, and if this works, then we can uh, sit down and, and and roll out big, and that works. Yeah, this is quite uh, quite good and uh, rational uh, rational way of thinking. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, Andrea, what's your uh, what's your opinion on that? You had a lot of experience, uh, especially with uh, with Italian banks. So I I think you have an opinion on this one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, first of all, I agree with everything shared uh, said before me. Everything, because uh, uh, talking about the first mover disadvantage, that is something that uh, all the Italian banks are uh, experiencing. They are uh, very conservative. They, they they aren't willing to start something too difficult to handle, uh, and um, that uh, ask them to uh, find different way of thought and solve problems. Sometimes uh, comfort zone is really a trap for uh, banks, and uh, and it is something that I am experiencing uh, and I experienced before when I was at the Bank of Italy. But uh, to be honest, uh, what I see is that uh, that's a complex market because uh, um, on the um, supplier side, uh, like myself and Sjord and others, there are um, a lot of nonsense. <laughs> there is a lot of people that is trying to sell magic, magic solution. But there is no magic solution at the moment. There is no silver bullet. There is only a lot of serious work that needs to share a path, a common path together. And so I, I, I'm talking, when Sean was talking about piloting, yeah, that's, that's the way to start because uh, piloting is, is a, um, a common pathway. We work together. I'm not only selling you something. Because yeah. I want to understand how my algorithm, how my software is working. And at the same time, you are um, experiencing something new and you are uh, learning something new. So to me, what is important is to create um, this ability to share um, and to have uh, common goals uh, um, with the customers. And um, it's kind of really of uh, team working. And I think uh, um, I am able to, to create a connection because uh, I'm coming from the banking sector. So I really know very well what trouble and problem they are facing. And all the time we are speaking the same language. And um, I think also we aren't able to be um, completely alone in our quest uh, for the development of our technology because the, the, the frameworks are already um, changing, continuously changing. Uh, uh, for example, in machine learning, how, how many techniques exist right mm -hmm. now? <laughs> how many techniques will exist? Uh, uh, also adding, for example, uh, quantum computing. Uh, mm -hmm. In the biometric sector, it's the same. You can um, use your face, you can use your fingerprint, uh, um, you can use your eyes, uh, and, and it's uh, changing. And every solution has trade-off. And to manage uh, all this enormous <laughs> um, landscape, to me, it, it's uh, unbelievable. You need to work together with other startups, with other, uh, also with the incumbents, that um, need to share with you their trouble. Because sometimes, sometimes startups as as this problem, they comes with their solution, and there's no problem. There, there is solution. Mm -hmm. there, there's an answer. Yeah, and there is if there is an there is no problem, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of innovators uh, are really um, when they innovate, they experience the the rush, the adrenaline of uh, uh, discovering something new. But when they talk with banks, uh, they freeze. Completely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so to me, we need to be serious. We need to work um, together. We need to solve real problems. And uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, 
in our sectors, we have huge real problems. Yeah, many times, you know, the fact is that probably uh, there are uh, um, also from the, from the banking point of view, they uh, they expect ready-made solutions, yeah. but it's uh, it's much more, as you were saying, a kind of a path, a hand-in-hand, -hand, uh, yeah. moving together and and uh, and experience what Shul was saying. The, the the pilot is at the end the the most efficient probably way to 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 move. I have one uh, um, very last question before closing up the, this episode, uh, and I'm not sure how how relevant is this to you, but um, I, I'm quite curious curious because uh, you know it's something that got me interested uh, lately, and uh, together with uh, with Matteo Matteo Rizzi, the um, uh, the executive producer actually of the podcast, we are keep discussing uh, discussing about that. So. We all know that, uh, okay, there is all this wave about uh, crypto, crypto exchange. Every day we hear a news and a buzz because Elon Musk said something, the China government said something else, uh, whatever. It's, 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 it's an ongoing uh, discovery every day. But what got me even more interested is all this new phenomenon of decentralized finance. Also because it's a little bit more uh, intellectually, let's say, challenging because it's a whole um, uh, new way, possible new way to, to approach the, the financial services, let's say. So I'm curious to understand if this uh, whole wave uh, impacted you and your sector in any ways uh, or, or not. And, and if so, uh, how or what do you expect to come? It's a question for both. So who want to start is more than welcome. We can start. No, I think we, we see that trend definitely as well. Um, uh, I think not, of course, at the scale as the global banking, the global banking sector itself is so huge that, that of course, we're even if it's big, we're still, still talking um, uh, minor impact on that level. Uh, but yeah, I think value has always moved around. I think we, we started off with chickens, then we moved to gold, uh, then we moved to paper, and then we moved to online. Uh, so I think, you know, that's something that you need to consider that the, the, the payment methods itself, the finance methods itself are, are dynamic. Um, and so, yeah, as long as it's digital, we can put an algorithm to it. <laughs> I think that's the good part, <laughs> good part of it. Uh, and that's also what we're seeing. We, we are having conversations with people who are really deep in the, into that market. And they're telling us the same thing. You know, once it becomes larger and it goes out of these sort of, you know, first mover, uh, people who are willing to take risks, who are willing to, you know, uh, they, they want the experience, they want to experiment as well. Uh, but at some point you get sort of normal people involved um, and then they want trust and they want security and they want all other stuff that maybe experimenters don't want necessarily. Um, and so that then it becomes really relevant how, uh, how that's solved. So um, it, we are definitely looking into it. And I think what we've seen now right now is even if you make a different type of payment, it's still value going from from one person to another and even in, in, in no matter what so i think the, the technical architecture will be different um but the algorithm side will be uh yeah, relatively similar all right thanks short andrea also in also perspective uh, maybe i was even thinking about the whole credit lending uh, npl world was <laughs> how we <Wow>. should <laughs> approach that 
Well, that's huge. Uh, I must confess, I, I stopped following the cryptocurrency world. Uh, Just for your yeah. mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, there are so many news. And, and also, uh, like, 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 for example, yesterday, I, I was talking with uh, somebody that is uh, in this sector with the kind of smart contract platform. And um, I was trying to understand which kind of proof uh, it, they, will, uh, they, they, they were using. You know, in Bitcoin, blockchain, you have the proof of work. Then there is the proof of stake. And then some, somebody had the Byzantine fault tolerance. Well, at the end, I had an headache and I tell him, okay, I understood everything. It was pretty clear, but it, was, it wasn't the case. Uh, okay, apart from that, um, what I see is that uh, there is a lot of potential on the trade finance. And um, in general, whenever you have to um, handle guarantees, uh, escrow services, I think that smart contracting are extremely um, well uh, suited to handle this, um, this domain. And I think that uh, they can uh, allow also for a small company to use these uh, uh, financial services because they could be cheaper and uh, probably uh, easier. So from this point of view, to me, there are a lot of opportunities. I'm quite worried about peer-to-peer uh, -peer loan. I don't know, maybe maybe it's my previous uh, experience, as I was saying before. <laughs> yeah, I was working at compliance and customer care, and there were a lot of trouble about uh, loans, uh, about uh, people um, that uh, weren't able to repay. Repay. Yeah, and so um, to me, it's, it's difficult to understand how average people is able to choose who to lend and who to not lend, even if you... Um, spread the risk because um, anybody can invest on different person. I, I think uh, we we probably face uh, um, uh, an adverse selection. Um, if you are um, working and asking for a loan on a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, platform, probably it's because uh, you weren't able uh, to ask for a loan. At to have it somewhere else, yeah. Yeah, and so probably your um, credit risk profile is not that good. And uh, that's, that's really uh, scare me. And so um, I really don't know how to solve this problem because uh, I think that the, the, the big issues here is about trust. Um, money is all about trust and, of course, rules that uh, um, enforce trust. But uh, when we are in a DeFi world, Trust is all on um, cryptography and the algorithms. And um, I cannot see at the moment any standard, any technology able to impose, uh, any player able to impose, any decentralized exchange able to impose because they are decentralized. So yeah. everybody's doing what he wants. And, and that's, uh, of course, uh, the, the opposite in the banking sector. You have the central bank that at least decide, regulate, and sometimes also um, defend customer when they have trouble. So the centralization is really interesting, but uh, at the same time, to me, uh, I see a lot of trouble and uh, I also heard a lot of scam concerning initial coin offering, uh, sometimes Ponzi schemes. So I, I don't know, I, I still worry and not um, convinced about uh, what is happening now. 
Yeah, I suppose we need to to wait and see. But of course, I mean, uh, uh, the good side of uh, uh, any decentralized system uh, lo lose completely the, the the advantage when you probably regulate it. So let's uh, it's it's always a kind of uh, a balance in between uh, um, risk, the risk and the, the 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 positive side. But we will see. I mean, I definitely don't have the answer, and I will keep following uh, uh, my, my 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 the graphs of my of my investments, hoping that at <laughs> some point I will become also a crypto millionaire. But I don't see it coming so <laughs> so quickly. So, guys, uh, um, before leaving, let's just give our audience a little bit more info um, about your startup. So um, where can people find out more about the Fraud Dynamics and uh, uh, Mopso? Yeah, so Fraud Dynamics, I think just go to the website at frauddynamics.com uh, if you want to discuss you know, transaction monitoring algorithms or processes. And uh, I think, as Andrea also said, I think it's, there's a lot of uh, randomness around machine learning. So if you know domain expertise, I think combined with machine learning, I think that's the key thing. I think that's also where I think both Mopsa and us make a difference, and we take the domain expertise. So um, if people want to discuss, if they just want to investigate what the options are, then uh, go to the website, go to our LinkedIn page, reach out to me directly. Uh, we're always happy to uh, to discuss and understand the problems. Great, Andrea, where nice. they can find something more? It's the same. You can find us uh, at mopso.eu. And aimlet.eu, aimlet without H because it is AML. <laughs> <laughs> Not like Shakespeare uh, exactly. character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I cannot uh, ask for Shakespeare. Is too much. Too much. Too high reverence. Yeah, yeah. Too high reverence for us. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. It was very nice uh, having you in this episode. Thanks, Sure. Thanks, Andrea. Hope to. See you face to face uh, somehow shortly. And thanks a lot to, to our audience for following this, uh, this episode. Uh, remember to keep following us on our social media and streaming platforms. And uh, let's see you all next week. Ciao. Thanks, well, guys. Thank you very much. See you next thank time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.